I think the fascination with future technology comes from the way my mindset was as a kid. So when I was growing up, I actually always told my people and my family, like, hey, I want to be a businessman when I grow up. So when I was eight or nine, I would ask for office supplies for my birthday. Or when I was a teenager, I would say I want to be a CEO. And then eventually, as I got to like 17, I always mention this part because it's always very interesting. As a 17-year-old, the words that came out of my mouth were, I want to be a CEO of an international business driven to innovate technology and ideology. Podcast Junkies, episode 251. Welcome back. I'm your host, Harry Duran. If you are discovering this show for the first time, then you're in for a treat. It's the one where I seek out interesting voices in podcasting and get them to share their stories about what inspired them to start their shows. And then we see whatever rabbit hole we end up down. And this week is definitely one of those episodes. But first, last week, we had a conversation with Rachel Cook. She's the host of Promote Yourself to CEO. Make sure you check that out if you haven't already, episode 250. So this week's episode, Dustin Miller is the host of the Polymath Polycast. Dustin shares his background as an entrepreneur and a content creator. And the show is for polymaths, entrepreneurs, multi-potentialites, and innovators. That is a mouthful. And you'll understand why in this episode. I'm telling you, we cover a wide variety of topics from the growing community of polymaths to existential crises, believe it or not. Dustin shares his passion for business and future tech. The intro snippet was a sneak peek as to how his mind works. This episode is brought to you by Focusrite and specifically the Scarlett 2i2 sound card, one of my favorite go-to sound cards, something I use for each and every podcast recording. The 3G line is a go-to for all new podcasters. Find out more at podcastjunkies.com forward slash Focusrite and the link will be in the show notes as well. One of the first things that's important is for him to explain exactly what a polymath does. So he does that for our audience, and he talks about how he came up with the idea for Poly Innovator. He does geek out a little bit on explaining how he structures the content on his website and on the show, and how he's grown as a host and interviewer, and a recent crisis he experienced. I have him share one of his more fascinating guests, as imagine with a podcast like this, he has a lot. Let's not forget that this episode is also brought to you by Fullcast. Fullcast Fullcast.co is the website. If you need help with any aspect of your show from launch to production and marketing, we can help. Schedule a free chat at Fullcast.co forward slash chat 15 about your existing or new show. And I learn about how he is constantly challenging himself to be a better host and a content creator. This is an interesting conversation for myself because I found myself constantly making sure that I was keeping pace with Dustin. I think uh, that was top of mind for me because I can just see the way his mind works. And it was fun to have the visual of the video to engage with him more closely for this interview. If you enjoyed this episode or past episodes, don't forget to leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash podcast junkies. I'll be sure to read them out on future episodes. Make sure you stay to the end of the episode where I reveal this week's retention hashtag. But for now, let's get polymathed with Dustin. So Dustin Miller, poly innovator, thank you for joining me on Podcast Junkies. Thank you for having me, Harry. Where's uh, home for you? I, we should have, I should have probably asked you that earlier, but I, you can educate my listener as well now yeah. too. Well, I live in the Midwest of the U.S., kind of the heart okay. of it, even the West, too. Which city? I live in Columbia, Missouri. Okay, so I'm in Minneapolis oh, now, right. so I'm, <laughs> I'm formerly, a res- I'm officially a resident of the, U- of the Midwest, but I grew up in New York, 
regular mm-hmm. listeners will know that I grew up in Yonkers, New York, just outside New York City. So I lived there most of my life, did a stint in Atlanta for a couple of years, and then lived previous to Minneapolis in LA. So I've always been like a big city kind of guy, mm-hmm. <laughs> love, love, love the, the hustle and the bustle. And now I've been in Minneapolis for about a year and a half. That's nice. It's interesting because I want to move to a bigger city, whether that's uh, Austin or Singapore. Those are the two that I'm looking at. Yeah, when uh, my partner and I looked at Austin, we went down a couple of times before moving in here. Uh, We have friends there. Shout out to Ever Gonzalez, creator of the Outlier Podcast Festival, who's down there and really like the vibe there. The startup community is really strong as well. Mm -hmm. So I think my partner's family's here. She's a photographer here. And that was like the final decision. But it's been interesting because we're planning to go to Florida for a month, you know, in February and just to kind of get out of the, the winter and because mm-hmm. we can, we have remote businesses and almost everyone is forced to be remote, whether they like it or not. It, it's an interesting time to experiment and try yeah. out uh, different places to live. For sure. Definitely. Why? I mean, it's a big, I, I, maybe it's not as, as different as it may seem, but Austin and Singapore seem like two completely <laughs> different cities. So what's the draw for both of those? Well, I would say that both of them are more like techie based. And so there's a bit of a more futuristic mindset when it goes to it. Like you said, there's a startup scene in Austin. There's actually a a blooming startup scene in Singapore as well. And it's one of the most modern cities in the world. Surprisingly, they don't have as much sustainability or renewable energy endeavors that you would think a smart city like that or smart nation as they call themselves. And so that's just, I want to be around the future. And I thought those two places would be pretty futuristic. Plus, better weather than Missouri. (laughs) <laughs> so we're going to definitely dive deep into your background as an entrepreneur and, and obviously with the podcast but you know this is the type of show where i just pull out pull threads as they come up so what's this fascination with future technology like when did that start and what's the draw for you i think the fascination with future technology comes from the way my mindset was as a kid so when i was growing up i actually always told my people in my family like hey i want to be a businessman when i grow up so when i was eight or nine i would ask for office supplies for my birthday or when i was a teenager i would say i want to be a ceo and then eventually as i got to like 17 i always mention this part because it's always very interesting as a 17 year old the words that came out of my mouth were i want to be a ceo of an international business driven to innovate technology and ideology wow it's like those are some, that's a weird statement to make as a teenager. And that's what I wanted. And I think that started a fascination with smart cities and the futuristic society. And that's why that came to be. How far back can you remember that where this was something that was active in your imagination? Were there people that you were listening to, shows you were watching? Like, were you just like a Elon Musk fanboy from like, <laughs> from early days? Or like, where did it start? I mean... When it started for entrepreneurship, it was more about, like, even if I wanted to be a businessman when I was younger, it was like when I was 10, I found in 101 ways a teenager can make money. And so I was like, obviously, I was like, I want to make some more money so I can go buy some Pokemon cards or whatever that may be. And I settled on doing kind of a retail e-commerce business. And so I wanted to sell temporary tattoos of all things. And that's what I did. I even had my own stand on Earth Day Festival in town as a kid with these tiny little kid tables and whatnot. And I think that kind of got me in the idea of like, okay, if I want to do something, I can work towards it in some way. I'm also wondering like what your parents thought. And do you have siblings? And were, did they have the same interest as well? So I actually have a decent amount of siblings, but only one of them sort of grew up with me. I have three step-siblings and about five half-siblings on my father's side, but I don't know really any of those very well. I only had one half-sister on my mom's side that I grew up with, and she was born when I was 14. So big difference there. I've been more of an influence to them than relatively the other way around. 
I get the sense, and and I don't know how much you believe in like past lives, but I feel like you're an old soul because yeah. you know, especially with that aspiration that you mentioned when you were 17. I, I don't know, and you probably experienced this. I don't know that a lot of your peers were, were thinking along those same lines as well. Yeah, I've been told that a lot, actually. So it's interesting you mentioned that too. So what about the entrepreneurial bug? Like wh- when did that kick in? And you know, you, you mentioned some early endeavors, but was that something that, it, what was inspiring you there? And why is that something that was important for you? Well, it's been so long that I have a picture in my head of the cover of that book. And I remember mm-hmm. skipping through and seeing what kind of things would resonate. And I just wanted to see what could I do. And I had a fascination with temporary tattoos at the time. I had a surplus even. I knew how to buy them for cheap. You could buy like 25 for a dollar. So I knew how to get a quantity of them. And so I think that's just kind of, I just, it was a connector mentality. Like I saw all different things that could be connected together. And that actually is the same philosophy as my personal brand ethos too, where it's about connecting things and taking a polymathic approach. You know, it's interesting about that term and, and I've heard it used a lot. And so I, I, for the benefit of the listener, can you define for you what a polymath is? Yeah, so there's actually a few different kind of ways of explaining it. There's some really great researchers who are trying to define it as well, and I've been learning from them. Personally, I find it as someone who's a multi-specialist, and the traditional textbook definition is someone who has learned many and is interested in many different areas, or learned much, and that means a deep level of knowledge, so almost a specialist level, although there's a few different kind of ways people look at polymaths, whether that is a expert level or just very deep well knowledge, just in many different areas, three plus areas kind of thing. When did you hear the term and when did you realize you were a polymath? Well, and the funny thing is I was still saying I'm an aspiring polymath because there is this kind of idea of a egotistical thing when it comes to polymathy, like, oh, I'm this great. It's so so many different things. It's not really about that. It's not about the ego. It's actually more about identifying as something like, hey, I don't identify as a specialist or just a single narrow mind person because I don't have just one toolkit. I have many toolkits. And I don't know when I first heard polymath, but I remember doing a really in-depth research paper or presentation on Leonardo da Vinci in seventh grade. So that was pretty early on, I would say. Probably he's probably the OG polymath, right? <laughs> For the most part, yeah. And you'd be surprised. Like, there's actually not enough information about female polymaths and people of polymaths from around the world. When we think of polymaths, we think of the Italian Renaissance or maybe something along the lines of just Western culture. But there's a ton of Middle Eastern and Asian polymaths that are super fascinating as well. And I can't name any off the top of my head, but that's the problem. I can't name any off the top of my head. So I need to work on that as well. So talk to me about Poly Innovator. Like, when did the idea for that come up? And what was the intention with you creating that site? Yeah. So I've made multiple sites for it, renovated it over the years. And it originated from my original endeavor. So that original endeavor was called United Living Construct, which was meant to be a hub of innovation. The slogan I used for that was quite similar to the little elevator pitch that I mentioned earlier as a teenager, world unity through self-development. So you had the philosophy that builds up people individually, then as a community, and then eventually as a global society, we're built up as well. And now it's kind of the idea, starting from the micro and growing into the macro. And so over time, I realized, okay, I like content creation. I started blogging back in 2011, 2012, and eventually around 2016, 2017, I started podcasting for that. And then eventually I realized I wasn't good enough. And so I needed to improve in order to achieve that goal. And Poly Innovator came out of that new endeavor. Curious when you say you weren't good enough, like how did you make that decision? Like what's the determining factor when you say something like that? 
I had felt that there needed to be a charismatic leader when it comes to this United Living construct. Whether that's me or someone else, it didn't really quite matter, but I obviously wanted to be that kind of leadership role, because this is kind of how my personality is. I like being able to lead people and help people do things and teach them, do all that kinds of stuff. And I realized that I had a lot of knowledge I needed to learn, and there's a lot of knowledge I wanted to learn, like smart city development, for example. And... I could have continued down the United Living Construct line and kept doing it, and I still have it around, but I thought, hmm, if I'm going to do this, there's probably a better way of going about it. You need some kind of personal presence. People need to know who you are. Why are you doing this kind of thing, and why am I talking about this right now? And so Poly Innovator became the foundation for all the future careers that I wanted to have, and this kind of online reputation of sorts. So for visitors to the site, there's a lot going on. <laughs> so, and I don't know if you've gotten that feedback before. So can you walk people through your thought process for the content that's on there and how people can best navigate there so they don't feel like a sense of overwhelm? Mm-hmm. Because I, I get the sense that you have, like there's so much information that you have in your head and so much that you want to share with the world and so many ideas that you have. And I feel like that's reflective on the site. But sometimes you know, to get new people into the space, you know, you sort of have to create a roadmap or this you are here map and just say, if you're interested in this, go here. If you're interested in this, go here. So and I don't know if you've gotten this feedback before, but I'm wondering, you know, as people, you know, as a result of this podcast, maybe they'll go back to the site and, and you know, they just get there and they're just like, okay, where do I go and how do I decide what to consume next? Well, let me ask you, when was the last time you saw the site? I can just, I'm pulling it up now. Is it polyinnovator.space? Space? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... It's completely different from when we first connected. I was on WordPress and then I went to Ghost because it's a much simpler service. Yeah. And yeah. you can go on there now and it should be a lot simpler. There's still a lot going on for the most part. But I think that when people go on, they might seem overwhelmed, but people are smart. I don't underestimate someone's intelligence when they come on. And so if they don't necessarily get it right away, that's obviously a chance they might leave. But it might also indulge your curiosity. And I tried to also simplify it too because saying there's a lot going on in the first page is not worth it. I might as well lead them to another page and kind of have a journey yeah. across the site. Yeah. And so the main thing is my only content is just what I call my main series is video, written, and audio. And so I just break it up into those three different chunks. And what's top of mind for you? Like, I, like you know, there's a lot of ideas that you're working on and a lot of ideas that you have tried and you know, you're mm-hmm. maybe not as interested. So maybe even just thinking about this year, like what's top of mind? What are some projects? What are you working on that has you excited? Yeah. So the site itself is something I've been working on for the past couple months because I actually had a couple technical issues that I had to get around and I finally did. And I'm super excited about it because I was able to, this site just has a more minimalist vibe. That's the whole point of Ghost itself. And so I was really excited to get that out because the way that it categorizes posts versus WordPress and some other sites, it's much more simple. It's just tags. There's no categories and tags, Mm -hmm. it's just tags, allowing for a cool new way I can do approach my series. And so I have this idea for a consistency layer of my content. I want to be able to create content on a regular basis that people can expect, at least in some shape or form. And I already have been doing that from various different series, but I wanted to make it more pronounced this year. And then beyond that, create courses and books and expand. Is there a consistency with the type of person that comes to you for either information or for help or to start working with you? When it comes to the persona, so to speak, I would identify 
not a particular one person, but the, for example, when I have my show, when I find people to interview, the thing I look for is if they're multidisciplinary. So if they mm-hmm. have a main specialty and they're a specialist, even a hyper specialist, they're bound to have some sort of hobby. Maybe they're a podcaster like us, or actually yeah. I don't call it a podcast. I call it a polycast, which I'll explain <laughs> later too. Yeah. But um, it's interesting because there's always something else that someone else is doing. So switching gears to the to the podcast, do you remember when what you were listening to at the time? Were you consuming podcasts, or where did the idea to add the podcast to your content marketing <laughs> plan? When did that start? So it evolved from the ULC podcast that I mentioned earlier, and I just kind of cook it from there and kind of continued it and realized that uh, I was translating from the ULC to Poly Innovator, same kind of topics, just a different way of expressing. And it was interesting because. I originally had these three different content silos. You had podcasting, you had written blog posts, you had videos. And I was trying to achieve all three of them at once by doing them three separate things. But as you know, too, you could take this, if you were recording video, you could have it on YouTube, then you can have the audio on all these different platforms, transcribe it, you have three different content types there. And so I try to take it in a more strategic and content repurposing in mind. So when it came to the polycast, I had my regular series that I had, or a couple of this regular polycasts that I made. It's like, okay, this is great, but not really what I'm wanting per se. And then I took the Omni content, and the last step of that is chopping out the audio and putting that on the polycast. Great. I have two different sources there. Well, at the beginning of summer last year, we're all stuck at home. I wanted to get my habit still going. And so yeah. I created a fireside blog and a fireside micro polycast, fireside being that personal kind of feeling to it. And these are just short form pieces that I wanted to do a daily kind of thing. And eventually I also started doing interviews. So I had four different kind of series for the audio. I know that seems confusing. So I'd let me, tell me if, how I can explain it better too. Yeah, just maybe if you break out the thought process of like how you think about creating the content. And also when you have a subject matter, like what are you deciding? Like this could be on the podcast, this could be the written form, this could be the fireside. I'm interested in, in hearing like how you unpack like your content or your IP and then how you decide how you're going to repurpose it. Mm-hmm. So I don't repurpose everything for the most part. Like the fireside stuff is so small that I felt like it probably wouldn't be as prudent. The way I could repurpose it is doing more compilations. So I can make a blog post saying, here's the top 10 fireside micropolycasts that I made or something like that. But for the most part, I do those because I had ideas I wanted to share. Like you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of ideas going around. Sometimes they just need a small outlet. I don't need to make a long form blog post or video or even do an interview on it. I just need to get the idea out there. Like one day I was really obsessed with this idea of the future of social media and just getting that idea out there was what i was trying to do and so the fireside of the micro polycast is something i'll do on a whim i do have a list of ideas i need to pull back on if i need to and in the regular polycast i just do when there's like a finale or something special event and the omni content is what i actually been wanting to do regularly but i've been failing to the only thing that i've done relatively regularly is the interviews and that's because i had people relying on me to get those out how did you want or how were you thinking about the content for the the Polymath Polycast now? Like, did you know initially you were going to be having a mix of solo and, and interviews or that you already had in mind people that you wanted to have on the show? That's just a super interesting question because I always wanted to do interviews. I got to see like Lewis Howes or Gary Vee talking to people. And I'm like, I want to do that. There's a lot of cool people. Like I could talk to you and like have a good conversation. And it's like, how do I go about doing that? And so I came across my podcast host, podcast host, podcast.co. And then eventually they made a social network called matchmaker.fm, mm-hmm. which allows you to match with people. Yeah, And it's just one of those things where 
it was pretty easy to talk to people that way. And so I just got started. And that's why I actually stopped doing the Omni content and focused mainly on that for the rest of the year last year. And I have done 83 interviews since May now. So that's, yeah. And so, and you said everyone is ideally would fall into the polymath category or multidisciplinary in terms of like who they are. I would say the latter. In fact, one of my main endeavors right now is trying to get this idea of a multidisciplinary spectrum out there. I'm actually going to do a talk about it here soon. That's what I was working on before talking to you today. So working on the slides for that. And so it's interesting how there's a lot of terms people could use. Jack of all trades, specialist, generalist, polymath, renaissance man, dilettante, whatever you particularly want. And sometimes people identify as one. And like especially multi-potential light too. People really like that one for some reason. And it's the potential to do many different things. I was like, okay, that's exciting. Yeah, and so I wanted to make an easy way for people to kind of be inclusive in that. And where do you find these people? It's interesting because a lot of them have come from Matchmaker, but it's it's easy too because you just look up polymath and multipotentialite and there's very few people who are still identifying as those terms. I literally actually went on Twitter and searched polymath, went to the people tab, and there was 11,000 people on there. And I went through to the very bottom. I wow. just went through the whole thing. <laughs> and do you have a, a system for how you do outreach, how you track, how you get people on the show, and, mm -hmm. and how you determine like what you want to cover, how much research do you do? I'm interested cool. in all that. Yeah. I go ham on all of that, as they say. This is interesting because I want to know what your online presence is like. And so I'll look at your multiple profiles, especially if it's on Matchmaker. Yet a lot of people have profiles on there. I can just jump right away. But sometimes I'll just do a Google search, see what comes up. If someone doesn't come up with very much, that may impact my decision when it comes to having them on. But I have had people with very little online presence be amazing guests. So I don't let it to be a determining factor per se. And it's interesting, too, when I actually do my research phase. Like, once you sign up, that's when you're locked in, essentially. That's when I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to start doing my research now at some point in between the sign-up and the day of the interview. And so I'll do the research. I'll Sometimes I watch their entire YouTube channel. If it's small enough, I'll go through their entire blog. Like, I did that recently for a new creator that came on who had 30 videos, 30 blog posts, and I just went through all of them. Are you going through at the 2X? On the oh, videos? yeah, definitely. That's the thing. I'm talking really fast right now. You can just imagine what my videos are like. <laughs> there were some points today, it was 3X, so... Yeah. It's funny, because I always use the analogy of, like, Neo in The Matrix, when he's like... I know Kung Fu. I know Kung Fu, like, yeah. he plugs in. And it's, it's... I think there's something to it, and I don't know if you've done any research or read anything about this, but sometimes I consume content quickly some of the that 2x you know some of these videos because i just want to absorb the content and i want it to go into my cellular memory somewhere and i don't know if that's something that'll be helpful later i can actually pull those out but we're at the point where there's no way we're going to be able to consume all the content we want to consume in this world because it's just cre being created at a at crazy crazy speed and it's hard for us to keep up so you know especially you with so many hobbies and so many things to keep up are you listening for anything specifically in your research for these guests, or are you just trying to get a big picture of like what they're working on? There's a lot of macro in it. So when someone is multidisciplinary, there's a lot of a big picture going on. And understanding how that big picture works is usually underneath the pillars of that are going to be their main aspects of their focus. So what are they doing as a day job? What are they doing as a hobby? What are they doing on the side? And those are the pillars of what their macro becomes. But I do like to look for the micro things. There was one day I was scrolling through a guest's Instagram, and I went about halfway down his feed when I found who his hero was. And I was like, oh, that's cool. That's a, that's the only point, I think, in all of his content mm. that I'll find that out. And yeah. It's a little micro detail that really adds up and you try to find as many of those as I can. 
Okay, so now you've done the research, you know who you're going to talk to, you know what you're going to talk about, you know a little bit of their backstory. Mm -hmm. So as you get ready for the day of the interview, what what experience or do, how have you grown as an interviewer, you know, as you get started? Because there's a different set of skills that you need yeah. when to have a conversation with someone, to keep them engaged, to keep the audience engaged and follow along. For one, body language. So, like, I've learned to not cover my mouth, like I am right now, because it's it's a subconscious thing. Like, okay, it looks like I don't want to talk, and so you might see it, and like, oh, I might need to change my thing, or looking away like this, which they, the audience can't see right now, but I'm looking away from the camera this entire time. I've been looking at the camera, and so I'm sure Harry's probably getting a kick out of it right now too, because it's one of those things that you learn that when you're doing a video show, especially, people want to see eye contact, and if I just looked at the person on the screen, I'm looking away from the person watching, and so yeah. I'll do that. And one of the first things. I made sure I did was become a better listener and I, I know I'm a talker and so the first thing I was like you need to shut up and active listen this, to these people well that's an interesting one as well because it's one of the things that new hosts seem to forget or just it's not something that's taught like you don't no one's teaching people how to be a good podcast host but I think people that are public speakers like they have a habit of just like owning the state and just talking about their topic nonstop. and I think what's interesting for a podcast host and people who have edited audio can see like the WAV file. And I've had podcast friends and say, hey, check out who was dominating this conversation. And it's like host and guest. And you can see like the host is like a lot of weight, a lot of activity yeah. <laughs> and guest, not so much activity. And you're like, okay, like, I guess, you know, they didn't learn a lesson and all they're doing is talking about themselves. And it is a learned skill and I'm something. So that's why I'm curious, like yeah. if it's something in the beginning you were saying you weren't aware of, but then over time you felt that your the quality of your conversations improved. So one thing I just want to touch on on that is that I've been on probably like 40 different shows at this point. And it is interesting to think about how well a lot of the hosts have been. Like this one is already being really good. You're asking questions. Even turn out the mic to make sure that there is not as much noise going on, the canceling, that kind of thing. And so it's interesting to f that I was on a show recently, and I won't say any names, something like that. But this host was just spending most of the time talking about their own history. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like I, I'm, I'm just in here about yours too, but... Like, you are here to interview me. Okay, cool. Like, either way. But it was just interesting because it was a pretty one-sided conversation. And I'm okay with that. Like, I understand it's one of those things some people just want to outlet. And they want someone on there to be a soundboard. And that's cool. I don't want to be that kind of person. And I know that's not great for a podcast host. But two is their own, so to speak, I guess. And there are some things I have learned that got better, too, which we'll touch on later, I guess. Yeah, no, feel free to share them now. I mean, that, okay. that's we definitely want to, want to dive deep. Well, I just didn't want to interrupt your particular response if you had one. Because see, that's the thing I'm thinking about too, is that I really like to go meta on my show. And when you told me at the beginning too that we're just going to go with, with the flow, I'm like, okay, cool, this is going to be a fun show because I don't have to hold back in some cases. Because <laughs> I've been on some shows where they were like 30 minutes long and I had to hold back a lot of it. And like by the time we get to the end of it, I'm like, I'm just getting started. Let's go. <laughs> like, yeah. One of the things I've learned is the structure of the show. And so I started out knowing like, okay, I need an intro, I need an outro, like let's get a call to action. Let's make sure that there's like I'll check to make sure people have enough time for the show too especially since I take the Joe Rogan approach where we'll just go as long as the guest feels right yeah and so uh, I started tweaking how I did the intro making it shorter I want to mention Poly Innovator since the polycast is underneath that but I don't want it to make it the main thing get people confused because there is a lot of polys when I speak polymath polycast poly innovator I used to call it the poly blog before I changed it to the omni blog because just having a pure blog I think is boring nowadays but and so just making a short intro giving a good 
quick synopsis of what the person is about. So I'll try to do like all their credentials and awesome traits about them, what they're interested in. And then I'll do an icebreaker, which is, can you share something about yourself that no one knows about you? And I stole that from John Lee DeMoss, I think. And it's interesting because that's a hard question for people to answer sometimes. And once they get through that one, everything else afterwards becomes easy. Yeah, yeah. And can you share something about you that a lot of people don't know about? I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> I was like, I almost hesitated to share that with you because I knew you were going to do it. So I'm thinking, I am a pretty open book. One thing I don't talk about much, and I've only really talked about it in the manifesto, so to speak, that I made a while back, is that my ideal goal is to help the world become a type one civilization on the Kardashev scale. That's one reason why I created the ULC and Poly Innovators that down the line, I'm wanting to create, help develop smart cities in my former adult life, I guess you could say, foremost or whatever the term would be, middle life. And then eventually those smart cities will help the world become more of a type one. On what scale? What was the scale that you mentioned? Kardashev scale. Okay. Can you explain that to me for the benefit of the listener that might not know? Yeah. So it is a scale. I don't remember what the guy first name was, but his last name is obviously Kardashev. That's what they named that after. And it's essentially just a scale of humanity or what kind of civilization can achieve. So the type one is someone who has full power over their planet. So they can help control weather systems. They have energy supply meds, and in fact, probably often surplus. And so we're probably around 0.75 is what the last calculation was at. And so we're not quite there yet. We are still using fossil fuels, which are not renewable. And so switching over to renewables is a great proponent of that. But if you go past that, a type two civilization is a civilization that can traverse their entire solar system. So there's a show called The Expanse where they go all the way out to the outer rim. That is a type two civilization. They're able to travel between planets pretty well, pretty easily move resources from the asteroid belt to inner planets, whatever it may be. And then a type three is one on a galaxy level. And type four, I think is like a universe level, which is probably pretty quite similar to omnipotent and kind of God level in that yeah, point. Yeah. Where can listeners and myself included after this conversation go to learn more about this? Because it touches upon a, a bunch of th different things and it's stuff that interests me. Mm -hmm. I'm fascinated by this idea of interdimensionary travel and fascinated. I'm also very spiritual and you'll see like the, the Pleiades galaxy behind me. <laughs> so I'm fascinated. I love movies about space. I loved Interstellar, Christopher Nolan's movie. I don't know if you saw Tenet just any like movies that hurt my head like when i'm watching them trying to figure out like what just happened here because they're playing with like you know quantum physics yeah. topics in a way that's interesting and to even be able to build a story around that so i'm speaking for myself and interested in going further down that rabbit hole so what's the best source of information that you found to go to learn more about that there's a two YouTube channels. I actually almost didn't have an answer for you because there's not much content around it besides maybe video games for the most point. But there's a channel, his name is Isaac Arthur. He creates a lot of really awesome content around that. There's another one, Let Me Know. And I don't know how to spell that. It starts with like L-E-M-I-N-O, I think. But two yeah. different channels, so that might be a good point to start. And you can, uh, we can follow up this conversation. You can share it with me and I'll make sure it's all in the show notes okay. by the time this episode gets published. How do you think about these topics in a way that does that keeps you from going down rabbit holes? Because that's a challenge that I have sometimes when I see these things and I read about these things. I get so fascinated by the topic. I love time travel movies as well. And just like, you know, like, because there's so many things that are pushing the boundaries of mm -hmm. what we know to be true, what we think to be true. And like, 
where reality lies and if you go down the quantum physics rabbit holes and objects at a distance and like you know it gets pretty crazy so i'm wondering if that happens to you and, and how you manage to control what you're consuming and you know how deep you're going especially being a polymath well growing up as a teenager i was watching videos on astrophysics for fun so I think that kind of explains some mindset behind it. And I would honestly say I've often gotten a lot of existential crises, and it's hard to deal with those, especially when they hit you really hard. So I don't have any particular ways of getting out of them besides just letting time happen and over time just kind of processing it as much as possible. Like our brains can't handle those big numbers when it comes to billions or trillions or quad, like everything. And so it is interesting the fact that when you have something big, it takes time to process and Kind of think of yourself like a computer and giving it time for that CPU to just process through it. Yeah, yeah. Or meditation helps too. Can you talk or do you feel comfortable talking about a recent existential crisis? Hmm. I mean, I don't know if I'd count it as a crisis, but I've been having some very vivid dreams the past few months. Like there was one point I had dinner with Samuel L. Jackson three times, like three different dreams over the course of a month, so to speak. And then just recently, I had a dream, a very super vivid dream that I was in Bhutan. Of all countries mm. in the world that I don't even yeah. don't even think about on a regular basis, I was in Bhutan, <laughs> on a specific city with a specific style. I don't know what the city was, but because it was just in my head. And then, literally a day later, I saw a couple of videos on Bhutan on TikTok, and it's just one of those things that these have these weird serendipity moments or coincidence, so to speak. So I've been having a lot of those lately, and that's kind of the best I can probably share at the moment. It's almost that reticular. What's the reticular formation or the, yeah. when, you, when you see something that you've been thinking about, like, you know, the mm-hmm. Volkswagen bug is the, is the common example. Like you buy one and all of a sudden you see it on the road. Yeah. I'm wondering if there's things that you've been thinking of because by nature of the conversations you're having on the polycast, it's, you're probably covering a wide range of topics on the show. For sure. Quantum physics to city civil engineering, so to speak, and having different concepts from marketing to podcasting to all kinds of different things. So yeah, you're totally on point. Have you heard of Neom, N-E-O-M dot com? No, I mean, maybe. It, there was a, yeah. a, big, a big Twitter campaign called Hold the Line, and it was just fascinating because you can tell they put a lot of money. It's a sustainable community being built from the ground up with no cars. I think it's no roads and all very connected to nature. They're building it in Saudi Arabia where they can you know, have the land to build this sort of thing. So it feels like it's something that'd be right up your alley. For sure. <laughs> to go down. So Well, and that's the thing. Like I, the one of the reasons why I created Poly Innovators because I couldn't find a pathway to find cities like that or to build them. Because back at that point, there was a lot less going on. There was one in China, one, I think Dubai was the main one then. And then a couple that happened in the US, like the Venus Project or Disney's Epcot, like the original Epcot idea, which was a smart city. And so it's interesting how there was very little going on. There was no decrease in smart city development. And now there's one or two, the master's level. But again, I don't have a bachelor, so I can't pursue that. I decided, screw it. I'm going to make my own degree because I can't seem to find it. And that's what started Poly Innovator as well. So I used that as a documentation process over my own do-it-yourself education. That's fascinating. (laughs) So when you're having these conversations with these guests, are you learning a lot? And how are you processing the information that you're learning because sometimes for me like i have these fascinating conversations and i definitely put this in one of those categories where i feel like now i have homework as a result of this conversation with my guest that i gotta not only have to continue to do what i do for my business but also i have to have a way to process it and you know we we were chatting before that pre-chat about some of the tools we use like notion to keep track of all (laughs) of all this stuff so i'm wondering 
you know, as the source of information comes out to you, I call this building Tiago Forte. Uh, he's he's, a, he's building a second brain, a second I, brain. I, and I've implemented his para system as well, which is how he organizes information. So that's been helpful for me just to have like systems in place. Like if I see an article, mm-hmm. immediately goes to Instapaper like that and I get and I move it offside like I have those so systems for all that. And I'm wondering what the types of systems that you've built to be able to consume and process this information and decide when to dig deeper. I hope we have enough time to explain all <laughs> this. So it's interesting because first and foremost, I love learning. And since I couldn't find a college that I wanted to go to, I pursued my own education. But this was actually after I pursued my own self-development. I want to go into those, but I think first the systems are probably more interesting. I actually foregoed the para method because it wasn't very useful with Notion. The templates for it weren't very powerful. And and alternatively, there is get things done mentality, philosophy. There's also Zettelkasten, which is where Diago Forte first got his idea from. And then there's also August Bradley's pipes, pillars, and vaults. And it's kind of a different way of approaching it built on Notion itself. And personally, I was like, you know what? I love all of these, even the Paramethod and Second Brain, but I want to make something myself. And before I even came across those, I did build my own omni-content builder, essentially. I made a giant database to help organize it all with templates in there. And I think templates on Notion are a very underutilized feature because if you can make a template and apply it to multiple different episodes, yeah. like, for example, the interviews, I'll have a template. Okay, these are what I mentioned before the show. Like, hey, everything's relaxed. You need to go drink a water. Here we go. Do you have any questions? Stuff like that. And then you have the section for the Calendly. So people put in their information to Calendly. I put that in there. Use that for questions too. Then I have my intro. Then I have the questions. Then I have the email, the outro, and then the timestamps and links and all that stuff. And so I have that built out every time I have a new guest on there. And that's one way I can really systematize that. And the same thing goes for my modular degree, which is that education endeavor I mentioned. And then the omni-content or whatever aspect like personal life too expenses expense tracking on google sheets is so boring but on notion it actually seems kind of fun (laughs) yeah what else system wise has been helpful for you so it's interesting because i've I mentioned earlier how when I try to find guests on Twitter, I went to the very end. And I do that a lot, it seems. So, for example, when I had WordPress, I wanted to know what kind of plugins were on the platform. And I kept going through searching for different keywords, but it wasn't enough. And there's 11,000 listings on WordPress. I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to go through every single one to see if it works for my site. And I found yeah. some cool stuff that way. UIM, Yumi. So UHMI is a tool that you can make microtransactions for if you have a downloadable PDF, for example. Okay. Super cool tool. Wouldn't have found it any other way, essentially. And so I found the same strategy to work with project management, task management, email marketing, social media marketing tools, all four of those. I went through most, if not all, that are online to try to see what one would work. It's not an approach I think most people would take, probably 99% of people. It's the polymathic (laughs) approach. (laughs) And so are these all self-taught systems, approaches, or is this something that you would pick up a bit here, a bit there, and then start to think about how you sort of, you know, grok a a system that fits your style and the way you think? I would say a bit of both. So like the modular degree came about purely from what my needs were. And then I realized, oh, I'm being selfish here. I don't, it's not just about me. There's other people who can use the same system. There was either people before me who did something similar, like Laurie Picard's No Pay NBA or uh, Scott Young's MIT Challenge. They did something similar already, but they were very niche. They were very focused on business or computer science. I wanted to create a template or a system that other people can use for anything. The skill tree based kind of learning aspect that I 
was coming up with. And so it's interesting how I made that up. But when it came to like this notion operating system, as we could call it, I really tried to incorporate everything from everyone in some way, shape or form. I'm still working on it. I'm not fully done with it yet, but I think that I've already started a lot farther than most. And do you have those, temp- those, are those templated and are those available? Yeah. So I, I don't know about the templates because sometimes they are private. So you have to go through and find those on the particular YouTubers channels. But I actually made a playlist of some of the best videos when it comes to this and I'll send it to you. Okay. What, what are you currently working on machine wise? Because I'm curious when someone like you needs to process a lot of information, are you, I'm just out of curiosity, Mac, Windows or? <laughs> so I loathe Apple. And okay. so I have Windows, but I have three screens here. So that's what I'll try to show you there. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's funny because it, what's, how do you make a decision like that? Because I think a lot of people are just by default feel that folks that are in tech are into Apple. And I'm wondering what your thought process there was. Okay. People who are in like some soft text when it comes to like maybe programming or like yeah. design, they'll, they might go to Mac, but most of the actual tech nerds, like the IT nerds, they all go to Linux. Mm-hmm. So let's make that distinction. They're like the real nerds go to Linux. Yeah, Even yeah, I've yeah. looked at Linux and I don't necessarily want to go to Linux per se because I like gaming, which is why I'm on Windows. Okay. So yeah, that's one reason. Like I, I think that if I didn't have a, what's the word? What's the anti-affinity? an anti-affinity towards Apple, I would probably love their system because it's so interconnected. But I don't know. I just don't like how their UI and their systems work. Yeah, aversion. Yeah, aversion. There we go. Thank you. (laughs) I guess we'll keep that in there for people to laugh at. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's also interesting because there's there's no perfect way to do a show. And when you have a podcast that speaks to podcasters, (laughs) I tend to leave like all the like missteps. And sometimes I've had trouble like pronouncing guests names and i'm just i leave it in there because i want people to listen who are podcasting who are trying to podcast or interested in podcasting to know like there's no perfection and i think covid has highlighted that as well we're not all sitting in npr studios with our quality mics and and i think it's the reality and it's what makes podcasting so exciting and uh, achievable for for a lot of people you know who who just Mm -hmm. may you know may think it's not for them i think as long as you like talking (laughs) i think podcasting is a good fit for you just be real. Yes. Is there, are there certain guests that, that come to mind that you've spoken to recently that you've really been fascinated, enjoyed their conversations, and why? One that I bring up, because I, I remember trying to get her on the show for a long time. I found her via TikTok, and she's a quantum computing content creator. And I wow. thought, like, that is so fantastic. And honestly, I probably, like, bored her to death afterwards because I was like, was so like, oh, my God, you're awesome, you're awesome, you're awesome. Because it's just one of those things that was so fascinating when it comes to not only the subject matter, but then the fact that she's a content creator on top of that, too. She would be someone that I would consider, like, a hyper-specialist or at the very least a deep specialist. But when you look at what she's doing and the other things she's done in the past, she's a very multidisciplinary person, which is why I thought she'd be good fit for the show. And ironically, I, I was kind of mad at myself. By the end of the call, we talked so much about her content creation and life beforehand we didn't even touch on quantum physics very much and i was like that sucks i want to have her back on <laughs> but i thought that was a good example of just like sometimes you you go on rabbit holes like you were saying earlier anyone else come to mind because you've had probably you're over what's the total count 83 now? Now? 83 yeah 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 i i mean there's so many like i could list every single one and be fascinated by each of yeah. them there was a guy named matt lucas who i had on relatively recently who helped teach basically martial arts and stunts and stretching and yoga, all kinds of different things to various actors and different ways okay. worked on different sets, different movies and worked on like stunts, stunt coordinating, that kind of thing. And so, um, do you know the show into the badlands? 
Yes, I first okay. I've seen it. Yeah, you I know mean, the main. Seen, I, I know about it, but I think I maybe watched a couple of episodes. Yeah, you know the main character there. Not by name, okay. but I, the face. Not the yeah, yeah, yeah. So Matt Lucas is his main trainer, and so it was very interesting how his philosophy when it comes down to like just being able to move. So some of the simplest things of like moving the neck, moving the shoulders influence the most advanced stunts and most advanced martial arts and he has a philosophy about pretty much everything's martial arts you can almost distill everything down to martial arts even podcasting mm. is yeah. an art on its own too yeah. and so it's a very interesting philosophy that way how do you continuously push yourself to be a better host hmm i think not just host but content creator in general because there's some days where i just don't want to get up i don't want to get out of bed i literally wrote a post the other night that I honestly felt like I was being kind of self-pitying, but I also wanted to get it out there because I have this new daily habit on my, what I call the Fireside Codex, which is that new Fireside blog, new version of that that I made last year, where I just wanted to get writing every day. And so I think that is a good way, a good example of, I don't care about quality. I don't care about SEO optimization per se. Like, I'll I'll make a meta description because I'm a writer at heart. I know how to do that pretty quickly. But like, I'm not making it for perfection. I'm making it just so I have a habit of making around a thousand words a day so that way I can start working on more advanced writing pieces in the future. And I think that's a good way for any kind of content. It's just getting practice. Roberto Blake, Gary Vee, all these great content creators say, if you want to be a better YouTuber, a better podcaster, do 100. Just just get 100 out there and eventually you're just going to get better over the process. What communities are there out there for polymaths for where do you go to get you know stimulated to get energized to learn you know i have a pretty good idea that there's some out there that the the listener would not be aware of where you you like to hang out so there's a lot that i didn't know about and one of the thought leaders that I'll shout out, Dr. Angela Catalesa, she created Polymass Place, which is meant to be kind of a place for people to come together. And I noticed that there was a lot of little tribes like that. And hers was one of the biggest, and I really respect her work. I had her on the show, too, and she's another guest that I would give a shout out to. This is just interesting, the way that she approached her dissertation. And so it's one of the things where I found all these different pockets and all these different groups have their own kind of theme of sorts. Because being a polymath individually is going to have a lot of different topics. Having a group of polymaths means there's an insurmountable amount of topics. Exponentially. Exponential, yeah. (laughs) And so it's one of those things where each pocket is going to be significantly different between the other ones. I wanted to create an umbrella pocket, so one that could be one that could host all these other pockets. That way, if Facebook decides they don't want Facebook groups anymore, they have a place to go to. And mm-hmm. so, like, I have a website people can check out, poly.tribe.so, which is the community that I'm building for that same reason. It's a good question. What's your expectation with that site? That's interesting because it has evolved. At first, I just wanted to have a place for my guests that I, who I knew were multidisciplinary to come in, then eventually open it up to other people. But I also didn't want it to be too exclusive because I want to, my whole philosophy is to be more inclusive. One of the reasons why I have my show is so I can exemplify the multidisciplinary traits of my guests. Oftentimes, they didn't even hear the word polymath until the day of or day before. Oftentimes, they may not even identify as that, even after the interview. But I see them as that, and I want to exemplify how common being multidisciplinary really is. And so I thought that with this particular group, we could help each other out instill new ideas. There's the same idea behind the United Living Construct, to make a hub of innovation, a hub of innovators to come together. 
Do you have a long-term vision? Where are you going? I mean, the way your your mind is constantly moving, like people can tell by the <laughs> by the excitement you have on this episode, and the, you know the range of topics that we've covered. And if anyone's taking notes, they're probably on page five or six by now. So, I'm wondering if how do you process all the information? Not only that you've already learned, but that you're. <laughs> I get the sense that you're going to be a lifelong learner, right? And you want to get better at some of the things as well, because I think the nature of a polymath, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is not only to know a thing, but also to, at some point, develop improvements in it and maybe even a mastery in it. No, you're totally on point. And so it's interesting, too, because it's the intersection of those areas that's the real key, I think. And so the more you learn in a particular skill set or area of knowledge, the more you can learn in another area. And there's this idea of transferable knowledge or transferable skills or trans-contextual thinking. Those are multiple terms people can look up and have a whole rabbit hole on their own. And being able to bridge connections between different areas, like, hey, I want to build a house. I also want to build a city. What's the similarities between those two things? And so how can you really build a house more effectively when you think about it from a city scale? How can you build a city better when you know how the houses are being built? And that kind of thing. And so... Um, the origin of the question is yeah sorry <laughs> where where are you going with this like what's the are you do you think about five years do you think about 10 years do you think about vision how do you feel about vision statements you miss you know as an entrepreneur you know there's a lot of talk about mission and, and vision do these terms resonate with you mm-hmm. do they give you a north star or how do they help you in, in terms of like figuring out where you want to go so Essentially speaking, I did mention the whole manifesto before, and that's kind of one of the ways that I wanted to just get it out there. Mm -hmm. But essentially speaking, I have thought about five years. I have thought about 10 years. I wanted to be where I'm at like five years ago. And so it's one of those things that my particular mindset on it doesn't really matter. It's just a matter of keep going and eventually I'll get there. Because I don't care if I'm 80 and I'll finally get there, Mm -hmm. but I'd like it to be when I'm 50 or something like that. Yeah. And so, yeah. What are some of the things that come to mind when you do think big picture? So smart city development, for sure. That's one thing I was mentioning earlier, just getting out there and starting to really work on these cities. And I think that there needs to be a cohesive hub for all of them. And that's what the ULC was meant to be, is like this cohesive hub between all these different smart cities, like a, a node of sorts. And so I thought that there needed to be something like that, and no one else was truly working on it. I guess you mentioned Niam, and I'm going to be looking back into that, because I heard them before, but I totally forgot about it. So thank you for bringing that back up. But it's interesting how, for me... I'm not good enough yet, and I still don't think I am. And that's that's a good thing. That's not a this on myself. It's just a realization that there's a lot more to learn and that I shouldn't slow down and that I shouldn't... I, hustling too hard is okay as long as you know how to rest and take care of yourself. And I've been trying to do that. Like, I took a write-off period, mm-hmm. or it's R-E-I-T, write-off last year at the end of the year because I told myself I was going to do a polycast interview every day or a polycast every day because I was so behind on releasing interviews. It wasn't that I was... I was just going too slow. So doing once a week and I wasn't fast enough. I was recording them way faster than I was sending them out. So I told him I was going to do one every day and I was going to do it all the way up to the end of the year. But after basically right before Christmas, I just started burning out. I could tell like I was going to get to that point. And so I took a break. And so I understand that sometimes you need to slow down. Sometimes you need to speed back up. I hope that answered your question. Yeah. What, what's a write-off? So I only heard about the term recently, so I don't have the greatest definition. But essentially there's certain tell signs of what you were doing is going to lead to some kind of burnout. And I have burned out in the past. And so I really wanted to avoid that because I have a lot I need to get done in these next coming months. And so I want to make sure that 
if I don't take care of myself, then I'm not gonna be able to do it. I wanna make sure I get that stuff done. So I just decided, okay, if I wanna sleep in, I'll sleep in. If I wanna play video games instead of working on stuff, I'll let myself do that. I'll try to not do it for too long because you don't wanna get become a dilettante or not do enough, basically. But allowing yourself to take that break. There was actually a philosophy, I don't remember the guy's name, but one of my guests, Santi Younger, brought it up to me, where this guy, every seven years, would take a year off and would just like, and just, go take a sabbatical and travel around. Mm. Certainly your finances have to be in accordance to do that. But it's the same thing that people do nowadays for every six months, they'll take a two-week vacation kind of thing, but it's on a bigger scale. Lots of follow-up questions. Mm -hmm. I I get the sense that we could easily have a three-hour podcast and maybe... (laughs) Let's do it. (laughs) And and maybe we can uh, do that later at some point and just have it, we call it a, a turn the mic on episode and just figure out which of the rabbit holes you want to chase and because all these topics that you talk about like for me would be fascinating so yeah i'd love to follow up with you and 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 just go deep and and just figure it out because like you said there's people that are interested in a wide variety of topics and myself i'm like i have so many interests and sometimes i don't know which one to go down and i just want to be conscious of, of the fact that there are people that like to process that but it's also you need systems. You need a way to, to sort of understand it all because that fire hose of information can be overwhelming. It could fry your circuits, you know, which is something probably you're, you've been alluding to. Information and so overload. Having, yeah. <laughs> and so having the ability to do a, a rest and a recharge and a, and understanding like how do I reset because you can't possibly be going at the pace, you know, you're going at without burning out. I have a point I want to make real quick is that these shows help me as an output. So... I can't seem to create enough content to get the output out myself, which is why I systematize it. That's mm-hmm. why I'm trying to do every day. I'm trying to, my Omni content wasn't meant to be a way to do 100 pieces of content a day. That's like how Gary Vee was talking about, let's do 100 pieces of content a day. If you're not, you're not doing as much as you could be. I was like, okay, cool. You're kind of being a little crazy with that, but I'm going to try it. And I made my own strategy for it. Yeah. That's another whole rabbit hole. But my point was, I wanted to do it every day. And I realized that doing these interviews are really great, even on my show, but especially when I'm on, someone else show talking i'm able to get a lot out and start to reformat my ideas and i can actually explain them differently and better over time with practice yeah it's interesting just because you're intelligent doesn't mean you're a good communicator Mm -hmm. and i think some of the geniuses of the world just have had challenges communicating their ideas (laughs) yes nikola tesla is a prime example right there (laughs) i'm fascinated by nikola tesla i think there's a lot happening in his life and a lot of things that he knew that he only shared a fraction of what he was capable of and just if you just get a glimpse of into anytime there's a book or or a series or a documentary about him i'm just immediately drawn for some reason to like learn more about him because there's a lot i feel like that's mysterious about his life and he was feels it's one of the few you know sometimes you say people are ahead of their time Mm -hmm. like he's literally like those one of those people that i think are just really really i mean da vinci was the same way and i feel the exact same way like you're saying about dick tesla i was about him too and it's funny because he wrote so much of his notebooks that if they were published he would be known as an inventor, not a painter. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Well, a couple of questions as we wrap up. What's something that you've changed your mind about recently? Oh, I had a good answer for this earlier, but I don't know what I would say. I guess I could change my mind around just how I approached the whole branding kind of thing because mm. I wanted to simplify it. Yeah, and yeah. I, I had four different platforms I was on, Medium, WordPress, AirText, which is a blockchain writing tool. Let's see, like 
two different ones for WordPress, essentially. I had multiple different platforms that I consolidated all into the new Ghost ecosystem. And that's why I was really happy about it, because I was able to simplify different content types as simply just tags. And I think that was a good way of going about it, because now when people do get to my site, they may be overwhelmed, but they can find the trails much more easily. I even have tags right there on the homepage for someone to just randomly click on if they wanted okay. to. And so that's something I changed my mind around, just how I wanted to approach it. Because I wanted to be omnichannel. That was my philosophy. And I decided to make it a little bit more simple, not as omnichannel, not as multi-channel, and just kind of keep it a little bit more condensed. Okay. What's the most misunderstood thing about you? Misunderstood thing about myself, I would say, is that most people don't see that I have a big picture in mind. Like you were asking about vision, you were asking about five-year plans. And honestly, I have probably 80-year plans if I really think about it. And it's just one of those things where I created Poly Innovator because I had so many things I wanted to do in life, so many phases that I wanted to do. Create music, be a gaming creator. I My whole past, which we didn't even touch on so much as a professional, is that I create I do fitness t- instruction, aquatic-based mainly, like water aerobics and swim lessons, and also personal training. So one of my next phases for Poly Innovator is going to be talking about all the stuff I knew from that. And it's just interesting how... Because that is a phase-based system, it's probably confusing people more now when it comes to talking about it. But right now, it's just a matter of modular education and polymathy. That's what I'm talking about at the moment for the most part. And so most people don't see it and they get that I'm thinking 10 years ahead, always. Who's inspiring you right now? Gary Vee was a big inspiration back in 2017, 2018. But in the past couple of years, Ali Abdal was a big He's a cool YouTuber, and he was inspiring me for a while there. He's actually one of the main reasons why I switched to Ghost. Let's see. And just talking to people like you, too. I think that's having this different conversations with smart people and being able to really have an intellectual discussion, that's what mm-hmm. really inspires me. Well, this was as wide-ranging as I thought it might be, Dustin. So thank you so much for uh, taking the time. I, like I said, it feels like this is one of those conversations that can go in a bunch of different threads. So uh, I think we're going to have a follow-up you know, with you and then keep talking I've got a couple of rabbit holes already now because of the links, just because from the links you shared. But I was just excited to get a peek inside your brain. I'm always <laughs> and, and, happy to yeah, come I'm, back. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, and I'm glad you were able to share because I think there's a lot for people to process, but I think it's also inspiring for people to understand when you have a passion about something, there's no limits or that you shouldn't put limits on yourself in terms of like what you're capable of learning if you're... If you put the systems in place and you do the work, because I think that's what a lot of people are afraid to like to do the work. So I appreciate you sharing your story and, and sharing your systems and and sharing your ideas. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks, Dustin, for coming on the show. Like I said at the beginning, <laughs> there was a lot to process there. And I found myself going back through my notes on this one as there was a lot to learn from Dustin and how he thinks about problems, which I find fascinating. Full show notes available at podcastjunkies.com forward slash 251. Intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil. Don't forget to check out our sponsors, Focusrite, their fantastic line of gear, specifically the Scarlet 2i2 Pro, at podcastjunkies.com forward slash Focusrite. Podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. Sign up for a free podcast brainstorm at fullcast.co forward slash chat 15. Next week, I get to have a friend on the show again, Shelby Stanger, host of Wild Ideas Worth Living. 
a podcast that was launched by our production company, picked up by REI, and Shelby has the entire story to share with us. She's also the host of a new show called Vitamin Joy. If you made it this far, you're no doubt looking for this week's extension hashtag. Let's go with Polly Dustin and tag me at podcast underscore junkies and Dustin at Polly Innovator, P-O-L-Y-I-N-N-O-V-A-T-O-R. Thanks for all you do to support the show. I'll talk to you later this week as we have another episode coming out at the end of this week. Much love for you all.